Corey Thomas, CEO and Chair of the Board with Rapid7 uh, here in Australia and in New Zealand. We're in Auckland today. Thanks very much for joining us on our Tech & Sec Weekly. Chris, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed the week. Yeah, look, we've, we've been together throughout the week, Sydney, Melbourne, uh, and now in Auckland, and including a cyber risk meetup in Melbourne as well with about 80 people. Uh, some very in-depth discussions, uh, particularly on, on the back of some significant breaches, uh, some lively discussions yes. as well. Your general observations and takeaways from the week so far, you've enjoyed it? Well, it's been a week of very, very lively discussions. You know, the first thing is I'm excited to be here. I haven't been back since the pandemic started. And yeah. it seems like people are really excited to have discussions with one another. Yep. And, and having cybersecurity leaders come together is important. That said, is I give two observations. One is that the maturity and sophistication of the programs, as evidenced by the discussions, has definitely grown yep. over the last two to three years. So I, I think we have to acknowledge progress. That's an important thing to actually do. The other thing is we have some important challenges still ahead of us. You know, some of the things that we actually talked about this week that resonated with me is that there's a skill shortage that we talk about. But, you know, I hadn't thought about one aspect that actually came up some is that the training aspect. Yeah. It is hard to build a model where you actually train people if the talent is going to evaporate yeah. uh, as soon as you actually get it trained up. Uh, people are clearly struggling with how to get alignment from their broader business stakeholders. Um, there's some good debate about whether cyber insurance helps yes, or yes. hinders or hurts that, that, that effort. And then there was a grappling of how to actually think about how to deal with the PR aspects of cyber attacks that we saw in the news and the yep. media this week. And probably our most contentious or most interesting discussion, at least from my perspective, were about some of the government actions or regulatory pressures. Regulation. Look, it, we're definitely on the back of these significant breaches uh, in Australia, but it was uh, in news here in Auckland too. Very, very, very prominent also uh, here in Auckland. Uh, so ransomware, how to manage ransomware sort of came up with all the boards are asking the questions from their teams as to what are our vulnerabilities and the like. You've, you mentioned resources, uh, insurance came up uh, as well, how big a stick the regulators might need, uh, but then if they're regulating then resources come into play as well. There was no shortage of sort of support from the board or executive team. So what would be your key advice uh, from that perspective? even potentially to the boards. You sit on a number of boards as well. What should be some of the, the key questions that boards are asking or support that they can give to their teams? Well, look, I think boards, it sounds like it, it, things are different all over the world. But in general, it sounds like boards are doing a fairly good job of supporting their teams when it comes to budgets yep. um, and when it comes to prioritization. You know, I would say that CEOs and boards probably have a little bit of work to do to make sure that the business is educated, understanding, and aligned. Yep. Yep. Um, because a number of cybersecurity professionals indicated that they had budgetary support, but it was still a struggle to get some of their business partners to prioritize that. So if yep. I was a CEO, and I am, I would certainly <laughs> be leaning into that. It's a little bit easier when you're a cybersecurity company. Um, but I would be leaning into sort of like, what does it take to make sure that it's, it is a broadly shared understanding nice. and mandate across the organization? Uh, so that's one focus. The second thing is I cannot emphasize enough the, the readiness. It is evidence both here this week and all over the world, this will be something that CEOs and boards and leadership teams will have to grapple with. And the thing I would emphasize is that all companies will be compromised at some point in time. Not all companies will have a severe compromise. Yep. And you know what I lean into boards with is we have the data, we have statistics. Companies that have a good set of fundamentals are much less likely to have severe compromise. 
uh, and that makes all the difference in the world. We can all think it's embarrassing to actually be compromised, and it is. I actually absolutely get it. <laughs> but what you really want to do, your obligation is to make sure you have good practice and good alignment to make sure there's no such thing as a severe compromise for your organization. I think there was a lot of nodding around the tables when you were talking about that. It, it's easier said than done uh, in terms of that. Is that where insurance can make, have a part to sort of guide you in, in what you should be doing? The right insurance can. Look, I have a, I have a model of insurance. I spent some time on this in the, in, in the U.S., and I also invest in this space, is that the insurance market for cyber broadly is a failed market. Yeah. Um, companies took an external attack service perspective, and the insurance market lost lots of money, and now they're trying to compensate for that by creating all types of rules and say, like, you know what, we don't do acts of war, and everything's an act of war because it comes from some <laughs> yes. nation state. Uh, what you're starting to see is separation from really good, high-quality insurers, though, that actually said, like, if you actually do the right foundational, fundamental practices well, consistently across your organization, we'll give you higher levels of coverage at cheaper cost. Um, and that's a line. Why do they actually do that? Well, they do that for one simple reason, is that if you get the foundations and the fundamentals well, it's not just the technology. It's not just the expertise, both those essential, but it's the consistencies of how the programs and the practices are run around the business and that requires IT, security, business, cloud, DevOps yeah. team to work together. If you do that, then the likelihood of severe compromise is significantly lower. And so therefore it's more insurable. By the way, that's aligned with businesses. Like if you're gonna have to actually testify before a regulator, you wanna actually say, we did all the right foundational stuff right. And yes, something bad happened because something bad will happen, yep. but we got the foundations right. And that makes a huge difference. Do you think it also beds down through the business? One of the, the takeaways again today was you get support from the board and the CEO, but then kind of push that down across the business where insurers, they, they understand the business that you're in as well. They'll assess that risk and make sure that that, uh, that management approach is done throughout the business. It's, it's a way to measure, and yeah. I, I, think, I, I think it's important to measure things. So I think insurers and the, and the models they use can actually help with that. I, I think there's a different challenge that I would actually put to boards and CEOs. I definitely have this on the boards that I, I, I'm a part of, is we give people conflicting messages. And that's okay, we just have to yeah. own it. We say that we have to innovate to stay relevant, and we do. The challenge is, if we innovate faster than our capacity to manage that innovation securely, then we actually expose our organizations to yeah. unnecessary risk. Is it innovation? That exactly. Would be so what we want to do is innovate securely. Yeah. Um, and that is possible, but what happens is that you know many boards and executives give their teams two different feedbacks. They tell the business and innovation teams to go innovate as fast as possible, and they tell the security teams <laughs> to be secure, and they say, you guys work it out. Yeah. And that doesn't really work. There has to be leadership at the top level that says, listen, we have to innovate securely, such that business owners understand that innovation must be well-managed and done securely, and security teams know that basically we still have to innovate, uh, and that requires leadership. And automation came up as well. You mentioned that's something that you focus on in Rapid7, but automation in business uh, for cybersecurity management as well. There was, a lot of, again, a lot of nods around the table when you focused on automation. They would love to automate more if they could. They could. Well, there's boundary issues. It's a challenge, right? One, security lags in automation. One of the observations that we have, you know, we have over 10,000 customers around the world, is automation is essential, especially in a resource and talent-constrained world. Yeah. You have to be able to automate world. The cybersecurity lags much of the other technology sectors in terms of automation. And so it, it needs to accelerate, and we have to do it wisely. Uh, and so automation is something that we focus our customer base on. It's something that we provide natively in our solutions. But most importantly, it's something that organizations have to adopt. Now, we are some interesting discussions about why people hadn't adopted automation. 
um, that ran the gambit from you know buy-in to sort of like belief. Yeah. Uh, there's a whole bunch of different reasons. Legacy systems. Legacy as well, systems right? was a really big factor into yep. sort of like why we actually did it. So it's it's complex, but it's something we still have to do. Yep. Um, and I suppose the last one is regulators uh, and the regulation, particularly say around ransomware. And we had a good discussion, I think, in Sydney on this one, on terms of the making sure that paying a ransom is not not the yes. end result, really, at the end of the day, and what regulators might be doing. What's your message or observations even from the US and Europe yes. uh, as to what regulations, and maybe what might be coming down in the pipeline of regulation? Yeah. So it's in place. So I think a couple of things. One is that you want to actually make sure that you have high disclosure standards. So we should have regulation that says like, listen, if you're compromised, you actually have to disclose it in a reasonable time, not in the moment, um, not when you actually have an active investigation going and you're still at at risk, but you have to disclose it reasonably. Why is that important is one, is that third party risk is still one of the biggest risks that all organizations face. And so for any organization that says, I don't wanna have to disclose it, imagine if none of your vendors and providers (laughs) wanna disclose things that actually impact you. Is that what you really want? Um, and so disclosure matters. The second thing is it takes away one of the most perverse incentives, I think, for people to pay ransom, which is I don't want to be embarrassed. Um, and I think that organizations that pay a ransom to avoid embarrassment, um, now, again, there's some good reasons potentially to pay ransoms, but if you do it just to hide, then you're financing criminal enterprises that are doing yeah. all types of bad things, human trafficking, and other things in the world. I think we just have to have a global standard that that's not acceptable. So disclosure actually matters. Now, there's a separate one that's harder that we had lots of interesting talks, Chris, that you were actually there for, and that's this whole notion of how big should the fines be to ensure that good security standards and practices are here to, and that was controversial. I'll just call it out. I mean, you saw it as well as I did. That was an (laughs) extraordinarily controversial stance. I think what we've, my observations from around the world is good regulation matters, but not all regulation is good regulation. So I would say, let's start with a clear standard about like what good is. And we have a myriad of standards that are inconsistent across industries. Yep. And then we have to actually get the rewards and the penalties right. A good reward penalty ecosystem would be, if you follow the standards, your liability is much less. Yep. If you don't follow it, your penalties are much higher. Yep. Um, sometimes we focus just on the one and not the other. Well, it was definitely agreed it was a complex issue and there's no easy answer. So it might be something that evolves. I suppose the last one uh, is threat intelligence as well. Bit of conjecture on how valuable it is, whereas others were quite you know, supportive of it as well. Your general take on threat intel? Look, what you heard, I think what we heard this week was people that actually have found ways to operationalize threat intel to better prioritize their vulnerabilities, mm. to actually tie into their SIM, felt that they were getting some use. You know, the thing I shared is we had at Rapid7, you know, our threat intelligence is an action-oriented approach. It is about taking down the phishing infrastructure that's affecting an organization, and it's actually looking for artifacts that organizations or their partners have actually been compromised. I think no matter what you what your perspective is, the one takeaway that I actually had is organizations that have found a way to actually integrate it into operations and made it actionable felt good about it. Those that hadn't yeah. weren't so sure if it was valuable. Certainly if they didn't have a filter on it as well, they felt like they were drinking the ocean exactly. uh, on data and, and uh, overloading them. Um, I suppose, look, you're heading off, to, heading off home uh, potentially tonight, I imagine. What's your sort of takeaways? What are you going to head back to the US, talk to your your head office teams about, or again, feedback into the Australian New Zealand teams? 
Yeah, so one, it's clear that there is a maturing and an increase in focus. So, you know, I'm going to kick back to our team and say, like, hey, listen, Australia and New Zealand is a great place to spend our time, energy, and effort. Yep. You know, we have teams here. We have our own security operations center here. We don't just have sales teams. We actually have operators here. And it's a good market to continue to actually focus on because it's taking cybersecurity seriously, which is the thing that we're always yep. looking for. And one last call to action. What? Uh, how can people find out more or what would you be saying for teams listening to this particular podcast, it's rapid7.com, but you know, what, what are some of the key things that Rapid7 can do for them as, as a sort of early uh, uh, flow in? Yeah, well, Rapid7 is focused on security operations. We help people manage their risk profile, so we help them get visibility into their environment, look at their risk across on-prem cloud and their digital attacks and their external attack surface. And we actually work with our partners to actually provide managed detection response services because most organizations do not have the capability to actually um, hire the staff to 24 by seven monitor yeah. for attacks against their environment. So I would say if, if that's something you actually need help with, um, we have the expertise and the depth, both ourselves and in our partner community, um, to actually help accelerate your security progress. Beautiful. Well, Corey Thomas, uh, Chair of the Board and CEO with Rapid7, thank you so much for joining us on our Tech and Sec Weekly and being spending some time in Australia and New Zealand. Chris, thank you so much for everything you all did. Good man. Thanks. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.